Hey you and welcome to Pillars, here to inspire you with personal stories from LGBTQ people who have overcome their own social, cultural or psychological challenges and use those very personal experiences to motivate their own self-empowerment. I'm Jordan Yediman and I believe that individual self-empowerment is key to strengthening our community. So I want to introduce you to some of our amazing community pillars to hear their stories, learn from their lessons and find out what advice they might have for people in similar circumstances. Let's strengthen the community by empowering individuals because we can't build a home out of broken bricks. We need pillars. Excuse me for gushing, but I love, love, love this conversation. Lorna Reeves is such a joy to speak to, and you'll see what I mean. I met Lorna when we were both volunteering for diversity role models together, and I think she had just started My Oh My Weddings, which was then the UK's only LGBTQ specialist wedding planning service. Now it's the UK's number one wedding planning service, and Lorna has been awarded Wedding Planner of the Year, period. When I started planning this podcast, I wanted to talk about hope, faith, overcoming, and Lorna's story perpetuates all of that. Being boxed in as a girly girl, she decided to embark on a career in the forensics team with the Met Police, but when it came to planning her own wedding, she had a few issues that she wanted to iron out, so she decided to start My Oh My Weddings. In just 18 months, it's grown and grown and grown, and like I said, it's now the UK's number one LGBTIQ specialist wedding planning service and she was awarded wedding planner of the year in 2019 she's an absolute joy to talk to she's wonderful she's sweet she's charming she's lovely she considers what she's doing soft activism but i think what she's doing is revolutionary she's revolutionizing love she's doing it with education communication and kindness when i messaged lorna to invite her to come on the podcast and share her experience she replied with let's do it And that's because she believes in the same things that I do. Empowerment, love and overcoming challenges. I had the pleasure of volunteering at Diversity Role Models with Lorna. I've had the pleasure of watching her growth from afar. And now I've had the pleasure of having this wonderful conversation with her. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. (sighs) Okay. Ready when you are. (laughs) Where do we start? There's so much to talk about all the time. We met with diversity role models um, in, I think it was Holborn, wasn't it? At the international school. I don't know for you, but like for me, that was a particularly challenging session. I remember it just being, um, having to navigate lots of different questions that, that I'd never had before. And it was also one of my first facilitating sessions. So I found it particularly challenging. How long have you been with diversity role models now? I have been volunteering for them for almost two years. Yeah. So yeah, doing a mix mixture of schools, mixture of um, cultures. But yeah, I agree. The international school was definitely the most challenging. Not only English not being a first language for everybody in the room, but some of the LGBTQ plus issues not even being on some of their radars was was really interesting. I 100% agree. And I think that's what I found like the most challenging was the fact that some some of the pupils really just didn't even know what we were talking about because they had never even considered that A, we exist and that B, we would even need to be considered on a curriculum. Um, and do you remember that? Do you remember there was that one really cool, like feisty American girl and she was, she had answers for everything, which was absolutely great. But she was very much of the understanding that she didn't really have a problem with it. So therefore it didn't even need to be discussed. But we were in a room of um, pupils from Eastern Europe and from Asia and Southeast Asia. And there were lots of them who were just sat with blank faces. And I think for me, that was one of the biggest, the biggest challenges was like not getting a reaction from them, which is, as you know, when we go to East London, for example, lots, (laughs) lots of reactions. Um, How have you been finding it since you've been been with them? Really, really interesting. I think the way kids minds work fascinate me anyway um and you know you get some sessions that the kids are really respectful and really quiet and you really have to draw out of them conversation um Mm. and then i actually probably prefer the fiery kids the ones that have got something to say the ones that you can have a real good discussion with and actually some of the the richest conversations have been in faith schools and amongst the kids themselves so somebody will be saying well 
we don't believe that this is what the, the bible or the quran says about lgbt issues which for them mostly is, is whittled down to homosexuality but then they start having a discussion amongst themselves about it and mm. you know if you're going to apply that part of the bible then you shouldn't be wearing mixed fabrics or you shouldn't be eating this mm. on certain days so it's it's really good when you start to see them think and i think that's all i certainly look for is just to prompt something in their brains it won't be revolutionary because it's a fundamental change in someone's psyche to be accepting and welcoming but just for that 10 minute period for to make them think of something outside of themselves i think it's that's it for me that's that's what makes it worthwhile yeah you couldn't echo my sentiments anymore i mean i i always say to people that you know we we sometimes have just 40 minutes sometimes it's an hour or so but watching the posture the facial expressions the engagement hearing the language change the tone of voice change literally on a spectrum throughout that session is so like magical I remember, okay, so I remember once, we're going a bit off topic here, but it's fine. I remember actually once going into the school and there was a there was a, a guy, he was sat at the back of the room, like slouched. I think he even had his hood up. He did not want to engage in the conversation. He said nothing throughout. I actually felt in a way a bit uncomfortable because I thought, oh God, he's really not into this. Like he's really not up for having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought if anyone's gonna, I was so like, I guess that was my judgment, but it, you know, I thought if anyone's going to have a, a problem or speak out or something, it's going to be him. And I was almost like ready to to protect myself from w- what this this people was going to say. Yeah. But it literally got to like ten minutes before the session, and I said, like, what can you what can you guys do to you know support LGBT people in this school? And he put his hand up, and he was literally like, why don't we just start like a support group and like let people know that we are. Um, there and that like they can come and speak to us and he's like look at the end of the day if anyone's got a problem then they've got to come through us wow and I was like uh, uh, yeah <laughs> like <laughs> wow that's exactly what you can do and, like I don't even and he you know you know and it was literally this him sitting uh, absorbing the information absorbing the conversations hearing what we had to say and being just at the end of it like guys this is down to us like come on you know, and that was honestly so, 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 so special because I, it was the last thing that I thought was going to happen in that and, session. And a super fresh kick for us as well. So we sometimes walk in with our rainbow lenses on and we're mm. all about the LGBTQ plus diversity, mm-hmm. but then we are automatically um, biased uh, towards kids, mm. towards the ones that don't engage, mm. perhaps judging the ones that are quieter and when we look back objectively are probably actually introverts they're not being hostile so it's a good reminder to us sometimes not to to judge any people not to take those preconceptions forward so I really like the refreshing kick up the backside that it gives us as grown-ups sometimes as well yeah and also because I I always say this to to the kids as well is that like it's a massive issue massive deal for me going into a school and standing in front of a, a a classroom full of pupils and talking about being gay because for me at school I was so closed and so um, afraid of it and so dismissive of it and really not addressing any of that and also we didn't have those sessions so it's actually very cathartic for me but also a massive thing because these kids that I'm talking to are the same age as the kids that bullied me when I was at school. Do you find it cathartic as well? Absolutely I think it took me probably actually until my late 20s early 30s to really step into myself mm. um, and I I really struggled with being pigeonholed um, quite a lot of my life so what my parents expected what school expected was this model pupil that fits the mold that goes to university that you know is not outlandish in the way I dress or the way I speak or I, no, I fit I just fit convention like cookie cutter so actually mm. it wasn't until my late 20s early 30s that I really started to express myself through the way that I dress through um you know the way that I feel and interact with people so actually I second guess myself when I'm going into classrooms you know I dress for my personality and I dress for me now mm. which is somewhere between a mixture of pink and mary poppins depending on what kind of day it is some days i'm super femme some days i'm really not 
and it's it's about dressing for me so I question myself when I'm going into this classroom to what am I going to wear today what are the kids going to think about me and it just it just rubber bands me right back to being in that classroom and trying to fit in and actually I have to remind myself no I'm a grown-up now I can dress however the heck I want and I'm only going to see these kids for an hour so I want to present the authentic me if I try and be anybody else I'm going to lose that I'm going to lose that validity that's so true and also a lesson for me because I I think I still do struggle a little going in um, and I think that's because I also sometimes still struggle with my queer identity anyway and I don't mean that in myself I mean that in public spaces um, an example being that my housemate painted my nails on Sunday because um, I put the podcast out and we were having some champagne and we were celebrating and things and we were like let's paint the nails so they painted but then today I'm going to go and buy a bike because I need a bike um, for next week and I took my nail varnish off because I was like the last thing I want to do is walk into a bike uh, workshop with painted nails and be like hey does this one fit my butt you know like <laughs> and I think I do the same going into schools as well and I think that is because um firstly professionalism but also because i i'm i am still a little bit worried um about what these mainly the boys probably are going to think about me um and i was reading irvin goffman yesterday because i'm writing a paper as well and about stigmatization and he was saying he says that the art of staring is um the art of objectifying someone um, as not as non-human like just the way that you go to the zoo and you look at animals you don't have a conversation with them there's no conversation there's no connection you're just staring and I find that as a queer person to be quite to be probably I realized yesterday when reading that that's probably my biggest uh, challenge at the moment is learning to like live authentically in in the outside world not just not just on a podcast and not just on Instagram for example um, how are you with that? I think it's a really interesting line to skate. I mean, when I was a teenager, I had lots of piercings, tongue pierced, nose pierced, and ears pierced. And I took a lot of them out when I first joined the Met Police, partly to fit in because I was unconventional. Um, but I think partly for professional reasons, if I wanted to be taken seriously, I need to fit in and conform a little bit. But then it's skating that fine line of being professional in so that it, your individuality doesn't become a barrier, because unfortunately, we still are in a biased society. But now I can conform, but still retain my sparkle. I can still retain that bit that makes me me. I can still add my personality and bring some individuality without scaring people. You know, you, yeah. you, you never want to scare away business, especially when you work for yourself. Mm. But equally, I won't turn myself down to a point that I lose myself or lose what makes me me. Um, and I, I can't remember who says it. And I think it might be um, Dr. Gemma Monroe of um, Inkling Women. She says, if you try to uh, soften, soften your edges, you lose your edge. Mm. Um, and that's about if you try and fit in too much you actually lose what makes you unique so I kind of agree with you in that if I was going for a job interview I probably you know wouldn't have the craziest hair and the craziest outfit or if I was meeting a really conservative client for the first time I would try and make them feel comfortable but equally if they don't like me in the way I dress we're not meant to work together mm, true yeah so, yeah Holding, holding yourself and taking up your own space is okay. Which you've, which you've done because you're <laughs> now an award-winning, well, actually the wedding planner of the year last year, 2019. Yeah. 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 Um, so congratulations. Thank you very much. It still doesn't quite feel real. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, but that's not even, um, I said not even, that's not LGBTQ wedding planner of the year. You are wedding planner of the year, period. Yep. Nationally. So that's a space which you've shown up for, occupied, owned, you've won an award for. That must be the proudest, most, like, how, are you, how are you feeling about that? Uh, to, to be nominated. So rewind, I only launched the business in 2018. Um, and after being 15 years in the Met, I finally decided it was time to kind of follow my passion and yeah. try and 
make a difference in a different way. Um, and I had not problems to planning our wedding, but I was sick to death of outing myself every time I spoke to a venue or a photographer or trying to explain that it wasn't a bride and groom, it was two brides, that's how we identified. Um, and no, my partner's name isn't Aaron, it's Sharon. And, and, and I just thought this, if it's, it can't be just me. So I'm surveying people and the, the people I got to reply, 100% of couples experienced some sense of discrimination when they were planning their weddings in the two years previous. And I just thought this has really got to change. This has really got to be different. So I really built the business around couples that wanted to do their weddings their way. Um, if they want to use tradition and convention, we absolutely will. If they want to tear up the rule book and set fire to it, we'll do that as well. Mm. Nice. Um, and, and I really advocate only working, and I'll only work with um, wedding professionals that share the same values that are about not tokenistic representation, like here's my one gay wedding that I've ever mm. shot ever, and I'm going to use that all over the place, but really living the values. Um, and really advocating and really encompassing couples of all types in their marketing and media. And so really creating a safe space for um, the LGBT community and increasing that representation. And then literally 11 months after launching, I got the news that I would be nominated for um, Wedding Planner of the Year, which I just thought is incredible. And they, but they just call you, they, like, how did that happen? Like, they just it was you an email. Like it was literally an email skimming through and I was like yeah the email from the venue invoice 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 congratulations you know when you open it and you think oh what spam is this what yeah right five million pounds have I have won this week <laughs> and it, it was the wedding um, and yeah the national wedding awards um saying you've you've been you've been nominated um in the wedding planning category um, and you know, I needed to submit some evidence, and they'd already viewed my website, so they knew a little bit about me. But I had to supply some information about couples that I'd worked with and that sort of stuff. And Who nominated so you? Like, how, where did that come from? Um, I believe it's anonymous nomination, so I'm oh, never okay. quite sure. But I think it was one of my couples Cute. Um, who'd who'd seen it, which was which is really lovely. Um, I don't know for definite, so I can't send them a bottle of fizz to say thank you. Mm -hmm. um but um Make but, yeah i know oh, come and find me there's a bottle <laughs> of champers in it for you we'll um, do a podcast <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, yeah it was really really cool and then to be able to oh well, i replied to that and then they came back and said that i'd been shortlisted which was phenomenal as well and i thought that's that's enough for me and then i bought you know i bought tickets to the um, awards dinner because i thought this is really special this is something that i need to celebrate we we got all dressed up got our faces done really cool outfits and and it was a casino night at the awards as well uh, cool. real good party atmosphere mm. and i just said to my sister you know take loads of pictures because this is going to be this will be it for us and speaking to people in the room there's people with like 15 years experience and they've had their business for 20 years oh you've only been in business 11 months off you did well to get here type thing and, mm -hmm. and I thought oh, okay we'll just enjoy it for the night and then when they were calling out the winners and they called out me well I was floored mm -hmm. and I practically fell off my chair it was a bloody long walk to the stage let yeah. me tell you <laughs> in heels it obviously <laughs> yeah, the, the jimmy choo's got a night out that night but yeah, it, was, it was yeah just phenomenal to get recognized in that way um, yeah a year after launching was just amazing i mean you say 11 months in the making and they said that you, you're good to be there but in actual fact it, i mean 11 months for the business but in actual fact it's a long time in the making for well for you um but also for us uh, absolutely and, and it was really good to be, I got 30 second speech and literally all I talked about was LGBT representation and how it is the duty of the wedding industry to be more inclusive mm. and more representative. And yes, I mean um, LGBT, but I also mean women that are not you know, typically skinny. I mean, women of color. I mean, um, more men in the wedding industry because all the magazines are all a woman, blonde woman, white dress with a bloke loitering somewhere in the background. And mm -hmm. that's just not real life. It's just not humanity. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, really spent some time raising that up and 
making people aware and to those people that said oh you've done well you've only been 11 months I just said yeah and I've made a dent in 11 months what have you been doing for 15 years mm -hmm. you've just been lying in your pockets you've not been giving back you've not been trying to make things change you've not been trying to really help people um and kind of yeah handed it back to them really for something yeah. to think about did you, I mean I'm assuming you've got a massive round of applause for that yes <laughs> and lots of comments in the night were people you know making comment uh, you know commenting on on what you've done yeah absolutely and and people you know made loads of really good connections and people saying you know we recognize we haven't done enough we mm. are a bit tokenistic how do we be better that's so um, good so which which is really brave which is really brave for established companies and venues that have been around for years to say okay we've just won an award as the best wedding venue in the uk mm. how do we be better is is fantastic um and my sister did a great job she's uh she's i haven't trained her but she did really good messaging and between us we kind of worked the room and got our message across and played a bit of blackjack um but um, but we really got to talking to people and good. really making them think which was which is what it's about really yeah 100 thank you so much for doing that as well because obviously i mean we weren't we weren't there to do it but you were and if you hadn't have done this and if you hadn't have a started my and my weddings but then you wouldn't have been nominated you wouldn't have won and you wouldn't have had the opportunity to therefore to speak to a full room for people and then to work the room and spread that you know more um direct message to people so thank you so much for doing that because i think it's one of the most important things in recent years it can be easy to become complacent that we now have managed marriage equality and I, i'm doing air quotes but that's because um there's still, still lots lots of work to do because like you said there are some venues that maybe don't accept same-sex uh couples for for weddings how do you how do you like weed them out? How do you find them? How do you scope those people? Because you only work with those people, right? Yeah. So, so a lot. It's it's easier in cities. It's much much easier in cities. And being in London, I I recognise that I am spoiled, and I am very lucky that we are, to um, most extent, we are quite cosmopolitan. Everybody is aware and um and and open to couples of all types it's really when my couple say i'd really like to get married in this little village in a county i'm not going to specifically yeah. call people out um it could be any county outside of a big city and uh, i kind of approach them and say you know i've got this couple and um, if they automatically assume it's a man and a woman it starts raising alarm bells mm -hmm. um when I ask for a brochure or, or photographs um, and they send me only a man and a woman, it starts raising alarm bells. And, and I do give people, I don't set people up. I will say, oh, have you worked with many same-sex couples? Have you done many same-sex um, weddings or, or many LGBT weddings? Um, and if they say no, it doesn't always put me off if they say no because we've not had the opportunity to but we'd really like to mm. great great i'm i'm all for working with somebody and people genuinely have not had the opportunity you know if they're a new venue or they are so far out in the sticks they kind of rely on um regular um clientele and recommendations they just might not have had the opportunity yeah. but it's about that openness and willingness and you can hear it in someone's voice whether they're going to be open to the mm. idea um and and if if they're not on board or they're not ready yet i'll send them some feedback um and some things to think about um and always, and the opportunity is always there if and when you're ready to shift your business to be more inclusive i would i'd love to work with you um if you feel that that's not for you that's okay as well i'm not about to force somebody into doing LGBT weddings just because they want to cash in. They need yeah. to come at it from a point of genuine want and mm. genuine respect and support. Yeah, I think I find it really hard to not get my activist hat on at that point. <laughs> but you seem to manage that. You seem to manage that like kindly. Have you ever had like any outright homophobia or anything um, or pushback? 
we we had two two incidents one where we don't deal with those kind of weddings um and i thought mm. you know what i've had a look at the pictures on your website and you're very much conference room with some white chair covers and that's supposed to be special you're not right for my people anyway i wouldn't i wouldn't even suggest to a client that we use your venue actually we can agree to disagree and i don't need to be sending money in your direction yeah and um i had one photographer that decided and and i don't know how this one slipped past me and it was a huge learning curve for me but we got them booked in we got the date booked in and i i always touch base with them 12 weeks before and check everything's fine and i've usually really gotten to know my couples by then we worked together for probably nine months or so by this point mm. and i send the photographers a briefing sheet this is this is my couples um, you can send them a quick photo which really helps build the connection before they meet and um, here's some information about them here's some information about their personalities so when you meet them for the first time this one in the couple's really chatty this one's a bit more reserved you know these are the types of shots that they want or they're looking for and i got back um, we've reviewed your client profile um, and we'll need to increase the price. The price will now be, and it was something like double and they had doubled the price purely. Uh, and I can only assume after I sent them the client profile, they doubled the price of the photo shoot. And, oh. and it was, a, it wasn't a, we quoted you two years ago and prices have increased. Cause I could, I could talk about that. We could talk between us yeah. the, the information was after we've sent after you've sent the client profile we'll need to um increase the price of our initial quote and i thought okay you've done that because you're not comfortable shooting this couple um, wow. and and it was instantly you know that's not what we signed up for i think this is deeper than what you're saying i think it's you you have an issue with the fact that this is a same-sex couple is that the case should we talk about it because again, I'm happy to talk through yeah. someone's issues, queries, problems, and they completely ghosted me after that. So that was, yeah, I'm, yeah not gonna. Do, I'm not gonna engage. I'm, I refuse to put my couples in those situations, and we will not send money of the wedding industry and the pink pound in those people's directions. Absolutely, and you know what? It's like I can almost, I can't, I can almost understand someone saying i'm i that i don't stand by that or because i understand socialization i understand how people how people's opinions are taught and things like that so i get that i can almost understand someone saying i don't want to attend that wedding support that wedding it's not what i believe it's not part of my religion or, or whatever fine for someone have the to courage in those convictions absolutely absolutely um obviously we're still working to change that um but that's one thing but to increase the price to to literally monopolize on the fact that you on the fact of so, somebody's sexuality is absolutely vile i'm shocked by that you know and and we're talking in the <laughs> sorry, last sorry i'm like years. speechless yeah, I, know, I know i'm like and and i just thought and you know people people in business do it let's not um be naive and think that people don't have you know a shit fee pardon my french you know somebody that you really don't want to work with but if they if you're going to work with them you're going to make it financially worth your while mm. we get it we know that it happens but not when it's based on somebody somebody's um gender somebody's sexual orientation it's that's just outright discrimination yeah. and the best way to impact people is to hit them in the pocket um and and i always say let let the money do the talking is there anything we don't is there anything in terms of like re reporting that or is that what happened like i mean I, I guess for you pick your battles right at that point but is there is there some place they can people can go to to report behavior like that i guess you have to prove it don't you yeah you you do and without having that conversation without that person outrightly saying I'm not going to support that yeah. wedding because it's really difficult. But mm. you know, the the wedding industry is known for being very cliquey, and 
and I'll only work with suppliers who are not cliquey. We take away all the backstabbing. We all work for each other. I mean, in the amount of recommendations that fly around in my little wedding community, um, and it's, it's called the Wedding Breakfast Club. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we refer to each other all the time. It, it, there's more than one way to skin a cat. It's a, a very quick, I've just had this at this venue and suddenly nobody else will work with them. Um, people that, that have the same values as me and us won't be, won't be working with that venue again, won't yeah. be working with that photographer again. I think it's very, I think it would be very easy for people, um, for, for people who aren't queer to assume that that's speculation and assume that, um, you know, for, or to say that, that we as queer people would speculate that would be the reason there's no proof. And you, but I think mm -hmm. historically we have a, history which we have to lean on and yeah. acknowledge in those situations and which is ingrained to us in the same way that I say someone has been taught to not support same-sex marriages we have been taught to look for those red flags look for those signals and to interpret those um based on our historical context and, and I'll never publish it and I'll never bad, bad mouth a company or business outwardly I always just advise caution based on my own experience and and that yeah. is as much as I can ever do and I'll do the same if somebody delivers a really bad service or if some if I have a complaint that's not dealt with in any way you mm. know it's the same you know you might say oh don't go to that estate agent they um they really handled my case badly you can only recommend or not recommend based on your personal experience and that's all i'll ever say to people you know, i'm not in the ha habit of discrediting people because i refuse to be like that and i refuse to feed into that negativity absolutely um, but i can make opinions based on my own experience yeah and we do have an experience of rising above um taking the moral high guy <laughs> 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 uh, maybe i'll edit that bit out um, <laughs> but of um you know really yeah really not kind of playing playing them at that game and yeah. um and i think we have to because i think again as queer people we really have to learn to find that this is exactly what i want to what the podcast is about learning to find your own value your own path your own position and not judge yourself against someone else's standards which they set um if, i mean you know reflectively to think that to think that it's only been six years since we've had same-sex marriage legalized in this country. I was moving to London in 2013 when, the, when it was passed for a more, well, to be more involved in, in the, well, gay, gay men specifically, <laughs> to be around more, more gay men, but like, <laughs> that's another podcast. But, um, <laughs> we, but to think that the year that I moved here to be around more gay people was the same year that they passed the, same sex or the marriage act wasn't it yeah and, and that was a, that was a big thing too being able to mad. use the m m word so mm. before that i couldn't say that i was married to my wife mm. we had a civil partnership and and don't get me wrong being granted civil partnership status was a huge thing and i know a lot of our friends you know absolutely launched in with two feet as soon as civil partnerships were permitted between same-sex couples they they absolutely jumped on it because it was the first piece of recognition and protection you know if you've built a life with somebody and you've been together for 10 20 30 40 50 years in some cases and that partner passes your family have more entitlement than your spouse or than the person you've been living with for 40 years that's not right so actually to be recognized as legal partners was a huge thing. But for me, it really stuck in my throat that I couldn't say the word married. And we did have a civil partnership. We, I did get proposed to, and we had a civil partnership. I'll tell you about the proposal. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, we had a civil partnership. Please, because I'm never going to get my own. Yeah, <laughs> you will, you will. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm sure they're going to allow us to marry ourselves one day. Um, but it really bothered me that we we couldn't be it wasn't you're now legally married it was we had to choose some words that kind of says that you're married but you can't say the m word mm. you know it's and that was that was quite hard we still used it as 
we still call each other, you know, my wife, this is my yeah. wife. Um, and actually I use that as a quite an early deflection. I out myself, I, we out each other and we um, initiate our, our status by mm. saying, hi, this is Sharon, she's my wife. And it takes a second maybe for some person to process that and go, okay, yeah, I've got it. I know where I stand. I know how to refer to you both now. Um, which is really powerful, but yeah, ma getting marriage, um, and we we did convert our civil partnership to marriage um, on the first day that it was allowed. Oh, did you? Can you explain just like the difference between a civil partnership and a marriage? Because I think, I mean, you know, some people, I, I, when I say some people, I mean straight people, might not really be aware of what the difference is because they haven't followed that journey. Yeah, and in, in terms of actual legal protection in the eyes of the law, there's very little difference at all. Um, the definition of marriage in UK law has always been the union of one man and one woman. That's it. And, mm -hmm. and that has been a sanctity that has been primarily protected and um, continued by religion. Not solely, but, but in the main. Um, and civil partnership was almost this kind of concession, but it, it felt very much like a business arrangement with a nice party attached to it you know this is you two saying that you um have legal rights to each other and each other's property and go away and have a celebration about it contractual whereas, yeah it was and an very um transactional mm -hmm. whereas actually the term and um, the reference of marriage and being able to put words like marriage and wedding and um, union into your ceremony actually was the equality and mm. being being validated as a societal norm and a societal union was was a really important step and and marriage equality um, was what people have been fighting for for a long time not the ability to form a, a legal contract because you could walk into any solicitors and sign a deed of trust that does the same thing absolutely um, so yeah really occupying the marriage space in an equal way was a real step forward for equality across the board mm, do you feel like the political significance of of what you're doing with my and my weddings do you feel that in your work are you able to take it in your stride or is it is it like because what you're doing is activism still it and is and and I hadn't thought about it as activism until you just said that. Um, and and it's quiet activism, I think. And I think it's in the same way we can all be feminists, we can we can all fight for equality of all types mm. in our everyday work. And that's I feel what I'm trying to do here. It's trying to normalize and increase representation in a way that just fits into normal life without having to shout about it too much yeah i feel like activism is any any act of standing up and making yourself known as someone who supports a cause or a narrative or a subject which you feel strongly about and i think activism is, it, activism is more about love you know like loving is an act of activism loving someone of the same gender is, a, is an act of activism because we are we are living outside the boundaries of patriarchy of, of the norm mm -hmm. um and in that respect loving someone is activism and in return activism is just an act of love and i think what you're doing is absolutely an act of activism you, you you're like you said you are doing it in in a normal normalistic way but I also think that those allies who are supporting your business and supporting the couples that are getting married are also activists in that sense. Um, so what you're doing is clearly is clearly driving the conversation forward. Absolutely. And, and for me, it's it's activism in a way that creates space for other people, whether that's to be or to be heard. It's it's about creating a wedding day that is about the couple. Um, and regardless of what family drama, what um, religion drama, whether they yeah. want fluffy pink bunnies or Pokemon at their weddings, it's about mm -hmm. celebrating them as a couple and creating that space for them. They came to mind quite quickly. Have you had like a Pokemon wedding? <laughs> Not yet, but I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking, is that thing? That's just a little insight into what goes <laughs> on in my brain. Have you had some mad, like crazy weddings though? 
Um, do you know, they've been mostly tame. Um, we've got on the cards um, Disney Wedding yes. um, in the next couple of years. I've, um, we've got um, potentially a movie star's wedding. Mm. Oh, really? Which will be really good fun. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, if a couple come to me and say, we want to do a themed wedding, I always check in and say, okay, are we talking like all out theme, like mm, mm, mm. fancy dress and the whole shebang, yeah. or are we doing kind of a nod Hints, yeah. to that? Yeah. Um, I just want to check before I start ordering, <laughs> you know, a Disney fairy princess <laughs> castle. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, I love, I love it when couples bring their personality sure. and something of them to their day. Yeah, my sister got married last year and I've forgotten just how like fun weddings are. It was a wonderful day. She didn't get married in a church um, in Torquay. The sun came out. She had like little white chairs and, you know, a little white gazebo and stuff. Beautiful. And everyone was like, oh, you know, a few people were like, oh, she's not getting married in a church. And even that was a... Judgy much? I mean, not not for her. Didn't She didn't care, wasn't, wasn't bothered. But even for me, I was like, hmm. There's another one. That's another, another thing. Um, but where are, where are you at with like church weddings? Are people, because I was speaking to um, Lisa Jane from One Body, One Faith yesterday, mm -hmm. and she's um, a minister. And she was telling me how, even though we have same sex marriage and marriage equality, let's say in this country, um, the canon law, church law, sometimes in some context can override um legislation government legislation and there's mm -hmm. loopholes like for example um chastity and sex before marriage um so for example there is a certain Dionysus I won't mention them in Westminster who support gay gay people same well uh, specifically gay and lesbian people but won't marry them and therefore offers them a counseling service to deal with their chaste life because yeah. They won't allow them to get married. They're not allowed to have sex before marriage. Therefore, they can't have sex. So they'll counsel them through that. Yeah. That to me is um, a layered, <laughs> completely layered and complicated process for them to, be, to get themselves involved in just to um, project or force their belief on people when they could be progressing and evolving. Yeah. Have you had church weddings? I haven't, um, but I have advised a couple of people who wanted to have a church wedding. And, you know, they were super active, really small rural community. Um, and they were really a big part of the local community. They, you know, were the types that are always involved in raising money for the church, raising money for the village. And they were part of the village cricket team. You know, they were really involved in the local community. And actually, it was for the church and the surrounding area to decide on whether they would permit them to get married. They put a request into the priest and said, this is what we'd like to do. The church is really important to us. This is why we'd like to get married in a church. If you can't marry us, will you provide us with a blessing? And that was kind of what I recommended as a hybrid option. If the church is really important to you, would it matter if you got legally married in a registry office, but you had a blessing in the church? Would that be enough? And they said yes. So it went to the church um, and the surrounding area and anybody on the church panel got to have a vote. And actually, everybody was really supportive. It was a unanimous decision that, yes, they could marry in the church and nobody would have any objections. So they did. They, that is exactly what they arranged. So I think it's a very much a personal discussion to be having in your religious space whatever religion and wherever it is that you worship and perhaps to come up with solutions that might be compromised but recognize that it will be a compromise on both sides of the fence mm. um, and really they had to make the decision which is kind of what I reflect to a lot of my couples is if they don't sign off on your your marriage and they don't recognize you as a couple what does that then mean for you um, and the couple then said, well, you know, it would really change our perception as to what what religion is about for us. And if they don't recognize us together, they don't recognize us as individuals either. So that it really shifts perception and their feelings around religion. So it's it's a really tricky time 
but in the main my main experience has been that people will marry you in a religious setting um, after a discussion don't go in assuming that it will happen but it will be a discussion and it will be a case-by-case -case basis um, and yeah it, it's not impossible if you really want it it can be done especially now with people like Lisa Jane and you know queer priests um it's probably when we were promising a lot of work to do what what about what what about um what did what did you do for your wedding when did you get married <laughs> so we both really just wanted it to be full of family and friends and um, we have a mixture of um my family's huge and Sharon's family's not so huge but I didn't want it to be overwhelmed so my kind of benchmark was if I would go out for dinner with you if I would spend valuable evening and weekend time you'll be on mm -hmm. the wedding list mm -hmm. if your great aunt Sally that I only see every other Christmas and don't ever hear from any other time you're not going to be on the list mm -hmm. um, and it was very much a room full of people we had 50 people and we had um, a manor house in Surrey um, it was solely for us that privacy was really important to us mm. um, we rented all the rooms in the place so everyone could stay um, so yeah literally we had the whole place to ourselves it was a room full of people that would support us in our marriage not just on that day but in married life going forwards they're, they're our closest friends um, and it was just a real celebration atmosphere it was a real party everybody got on like a house on fire everyone had a really fun time um yeah and I just remember sitting back at one point and I think I think my dad was doing the speech which is always going to be super emotional <laughs> um and just thinking this when do you ever get all your favorite people together in one room to celebrate Literally. and and for us it'll be 10 years next year um that we got married and we're thinking wow. of doing it all again and just seeing if we could get the same same group of people and who we've collected along the way who, that would be so sweet yeah yeah looking at doing so it all again cute. oh that's so sweet yeah. well, so what were you doing then were you in the met were you working in the met police i was indeed yep yeah, i was um what year was that 2011 so yeah i was uh, yeah run, running one of the forensics teams in the um the north of london for the met which then. is which is mad thinking like what you're doing now not because like the career change but again back to activism and like the you know the political weight that it's holding now to think that you were in such a um conformative um space you know working for the government and now you're breaking molds and you are you know really involved in that kind of in, in in the progressive narrative of queer people and queer partnerships yeah. have, have you seen your life evolve um, oh, that's a really good question um i think it, props to the Met, they are an extremely progressive employer by some standards. Um, you know, being being a gay woman in the Met was never an issue. It was never a barrier. It was, um, you know, I never got stick for it. it. It was a really safe space to be. And I think they're so politically correct most of the time um, that it was actually a safe place for me to evolve as a person. Um, I did a lot of my growing up there. You know, I joined at 18 um, and left at 33. So a lot of my formative years were, were in the Met. But I'm definitely, definitely freer in general now um, in terms of all of my decisions. You know, I never have to think, well, what would my employer make of this? Or if I do this and it goes wrong and it ends up in the press, I'll lose my job. Um, that's, that's not a You had such an interesting job as well so you're in the forensics team yep. was this for i mean what were you what was your role there so i started out as um, a csi so i did all the forensics um at crime scenes from you know, burglaries and car crimes through to rape with a little brush and stuff yeah collecting dna taking the <laughs> photographs and dressed up like a teletubby with just your eyes on show um Perfect. yeah guns and sexual violence and murder and everything in between all the fun stuff yeah <laughs> and never a dull moment in london that is a fact wow i mean and now yeah planning weddings seek seek covers see the positive and... side <laughs> i'd like to say do you enjoy one more than the other do you miss like the excitement of it then i'm like this is exciting too it's I mean, I guess I'm I'm having a narrative in my head at the moment, sorry. So I'm just kind of thinking through it. But your 
so your parents were they all right with you doing that because they were really keen on you going to university is that is that right yeah so caused a bit of friction because i was supposed to be you know cookie, cookie cutter kid that goes sixth form university gets a good job and mm. loads of money gets married and settles down so this all kind of happened all around the same time so i didn't want to go to uni i, I got places and good places um, and did well at a level but just decided i was fed up of being talked at um, and i actually yeah. saw the advert for the met in the metro on the way back from a uni interview um applied got in so i left school in the june and started in the met in the september really that's quick my and my dad was um, in the job and as are my uncles and cousins so it's very much my dad didn't want me to go in um, you're working he, with them uh, never never actually worked okay. with the family um which is yeah surprising but yeah they were they were i think disappointed that i didn't go to uni at the time um but I did so much in the Met and I, I got my master's while I was still working. So, um, you know, still got good education, had a good job, meant that I bought property and moved out quite quickly. So I think they saw the value of it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I came out at 22. So I'd only been in the job three-ish years at the time. So it was, it was a big time of change and flux. Um, mm. and, and yeah interesting time yeah i mean you seem to have gone against the grain somewhat in in their expectations or or i say somewhat a, a lot um what about coming out how how did they take that better than i expected mm. um and better than i anticipated and obviously you know um, i'm asking this because this is what we talk about in schools a lot is our experience of coming out so yeah. i think i think it's important that people here as adults <laughs> the stories that we tell in schools so yeah yeah absolutely so I kind of I probably knew at 14 15 that women were attractive to me mm. you know um watching the movie and having a bit of a tummy flutter and when Angelina Jolie pops on the <laughs> screen it's is a good indicator even but, I get that yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I know I had a boyfriend and I got engaged at 16 and we were going to get married and do the whole conventional norm, married and kids and work. But it just, when I left, before I left school, just before I left sixth form, I thought this doesn't feel right. This isn't me. Something is not right. And I didn't know what it was. So yeah. ended that relationship before it got too much worse. And, um, and it was really when I joined the Met and I started competing in sport at a national level um, that I really got exposed to different types of women and mm. strong women and gay and not, um, you know, just and different ways of life, different ways people were living. Um, and I, you know, got to be friends with a couple of really strong gay women and got introduced to the scene and you can see where this is going. <laughs> And, and something just clicked and felt right. And I, it's like finding a really good pair of shoes that suddenly fit. You realize how badly all the other shoes fit. Mm, true. That's so true, actually. It's such a good analogy. And, and I just thought, yeah, okay, this, this makes sense now. And, and I didn't tell my parents anything at first because I'd moved out and I had my own um, place. I could, and I work shifts, so I could be off the radar quite legitimately. Mm. Mm. But it was when really when I met Sharon and that things, you know, started getting serious and, mm -hmm. and quite rightly, she said, I don't want to live in the shadows. And, and I did feel like I was lying to my parents, not telling them really what I was up to in yeah. being lying by a mission. It's, it's still lying. And mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I had that conversation and sat my mum down and dad was making a cup of tea. And I just said to my mum, you know, I've met somebody and um, and they're a woman and and I don't know I, and at the time I really was conscious not to stick a label on it um, and I advocate that for anybody you don't have to sit in a box just mm -hmm. be and be honest um, and and my mum burst into tears and primarily I think because all her hopes and dreams for her firstborn daughter fell out the window you know she had father of the bride footage going on in her head that's how mm. she thought my life was going and um, it's all going to be like a movie and that suddenly came to a grinding halt i relate with that so much i mean my mum's got 
grandkids. She's got two from my sister, plus two step grandkids because my most my sister got married now. And she said to me, "Oh yeah, but you know, I'm not going to get grandchildren, am I?" And I was like, "You've got four. And I was like, "And also, you you might like just because yep. I don't have a, a womb and I'm not going <laughs> to get married to a woman, you still might get grand grandkids." And and it's really weird because that conversation, like she literally just went. And she and she she'd had this with her for years. Like I, she'd been dwelling on it since I'd come out. Mm-hmm. And then when I said to her, "But you still might like I, even even straight couples have to have surrogates sometimes, or mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, or adopt." And she went, "Oh yeah, yeah, you're right." And I just thought, "How have you like <laughs> take down you the fear? Yeah, take down the fear. Yeah, take down that that." instant panic and actually think about it rationally and so I completely and it understand sense. what you're saying about your mom because yeah I mean I think a lot of people go through that how was she did she come around to it pretty quickly was she cool yeah she she once we'd had the conversation it was kind of okay that it is what it is and yeah and that's it and my dad kind of walked in the room and me and my mum were both you know quite upset and in tears and he walked in and kind of went mm, I think I've walked in on something here that this feels important Yes, dad. And I told him and he said, well, you know, now I've got one of each. And I thought, what does that mean? And my middle sister's super girly, like super princess, Disney princess. My little sister has always been a tomboy and has always worn jeans and dungarees (laughs) since they dot. Um, And now he says he's got one of each, one girly girl, one tomboy and one one that doesn't quite fit the mold. (laughs) And, and, you know, even in his speech at, at our wedding he said that he has now got four daughters that's how he kind of sees see oh, Sharon so I like, oh, oh, choke up, choke up. <laughs> um so yeah they they have been really cool um and I and I consider myself very lucky not everybody mm. has that conversation to go as well some people do um and I think it will get better as you know, people of our generation start to have children yeah. and, um, you know, and sexuality and gender remains on the conversation menu. It will still get, it will get clearer. And I can still have the conversations. And I, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I can see that those changes happening. And the reason I'm making this point now is because some people don't get to go into schools like we do and see, see what's happening um, at that age. And I think a lot of the time, I mean, the workshops are always so important and they're always very, very valuable for not only the pupils, but for me as well and for us in schools and for the schools themselves. But a lot there are occasions when I go into schools and I think you're all so open, except you've done so much work on this in schools. You're all so wonderful. You're all wearing a rainbow badge. You've all gone, yeah, we've got a peer group. And, and But to, to, to see that is so wonderful because it means that the work that you and I and this generation have been doing is working, like it is having an effect. So if that generation are at that age already so clued up, switched on, accepting, um, supportive, then I can, I have high hopes for the, the, the generation after that. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's good for those kids that are sitting in those classrooms being aware and comfortable with the idea of of difference to remind them that it's not always been that way is a really useful grounding for them sometimes yeah. so for them to hear stories um of yours of mine of even from people the generation before us Mm-mm-mm. who so lived with their companions in inverted commas Mm-mm. for so many years Mm-mm who really did trailblaze I think it's important for them to hear those stories and remember even me that they you know, are privileged yeah when we have some of the older um role models go into schools and they speak about section 28 28, 28? yeah 28 sorry <laughs> the thing about se- and, and the don't ask don't tell in the army absolutely yeah it's quite a few military role models that we have that have come out of mm-hmm. come out of the army um or out of the military um and have lived through that don't ask don't tell um face for me even I was reflecting on this other day because like I said I'm writing this paper I through this podcast through the paper I'm becoming so grateful and so aware of what happened in previous generations and what it was like I watched um after after 82 which is a, um, 
a documentary on now on Prime Video. It's free. And it's about how Terence Higgins Trust came about. And it's about Terry Higgins and his life and his friends who, when he died of AIDS, who um, how they started the trust and stuff. And watching that, I was, I started to get really blubbery. And then I was like, hang on, I can't cry watching a bloody documentary. These people have lived through it. Yeah, we, uh, and I, did, I agree with you completely. I think we are very much stood on the pivot at the moment. This, I think we are the people that are standing on the shoulders that people of people that have been before mm. us and are now paving the way for the next generation. We're the kind of hybrid people. We're not quite there, but we're definitely not way back Absolutely. when. You know, we're, we're that kind of middle ground. And, and if I can make the journey a teeny bit easier for somebody who's in school now, or just to let them know that if they're getting crap at school now, it won't always mm. be that way, then, then that's it. That's enough for me. I feel so privileged to be part of this generation, actually. And to be able to look back, or to be close enough to look back and say, okay, that was where we've come from, but also to be witnessing the change at the moment, um, and also to be able to look forward and see the possibilities. Because I think, you know, back in, you know, 30 years ago, even, it would have been very difficult to, to even see where we are right now. And it's just a bit of a shame because, like, you know, this is a, yeah. you know, a pivotal year, 2020. Um, we're in such a difficult situation at the moment. You know, for example, Pride's been cancelled. Black Pride's been cancelled. The first Muslim Pride was cancelled. You're, you're also um, donating um, to Diversity Run Model as well, aren't you? For your, yeah. through my own, my weddings. Yep. So percentage of our, of our earnings every year goes to DRM. Yeah. That's so good. That's, it's, that's my way. Not only do I give back through my story but I want to enable more kids to have role models so even if I can't be there in person mm. if I can pay for one classroom input um, it, it's important and I think it's important that we keep supporting each other so all my couples get made aware that's what's happening with yeah. a percentage of your money um, we, we're socially responsible and I think we we all should be responsible in whatever way we can be mm. um, and that's that yeah that's yeah. our way sharing for the next gen no i mean and again thank you i mean thank you for for committing to that because as someone who works with drm i know how important those are we have got no pride this year so i won't be marching with them like i like i normally do what's what's your plan i mean obviously you're adapting you're having to adapt because no weddings are going on at the moment where are you at with the with my my weddings because i know you've got the events company as well which you've been keeping you busy but i guess in terms of weddings it's postponing and rearranging right yeah so if you want to get married in 2021 um and you've only just made that decision good mm. luck because all of the venues are booked not only with 2021 weddings but oh, all of the, know, the, amount, stuff. the amount of lockdown babies that are really coming <laughs> i think you're getting a lot of weddings too <laughs> um it, yeah next year looks bonkers um, sorry i just realized that the lockdown babies are gonna be um straight couples <laughs> there could be a lot of indoor practice time for non-straight couples listen there's a lot going yeah, on right now you're, if you're you. going to be at home for six weeks you might as well practice laying upside down <laughs> um, but yeah for all types of people um but yeah it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting year next year um i'm still gonna mark pride um with some reflections of last year and then drm really kind and had me and my wife sharon um on the on the float last year um which was mm. our, both of our first times at london pride um in the parade yeah so we've always been and watched and so fun such a great day and i think if if we can we might have a pride party on the weekend that would be brighton pride because that's our wedding anniversary weekend as well is it is that your 10 That'll years be our nine years will be this year so 10 oh, 10 cool. years next year so maybe what's the ninth what, what's the what's the ninth wedding anniversary, yeah. uh, anniversary? I should, what's I feel the... like i should know <laughs> let me google it hang on it's the ninth wedding is the uh, wedding anniversary is the leather i'll get the chaps out yeah <laughs> uh, okay leather themed anniversary party sounds all right for pride weekend <laughs> it does actually i think a lot of people still ha have their outfits ready they don't yeah, have literally. to buy anything cool that's the perfect theme for a pride party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh the bears will be loving it literally maybe i should like maybe i should get something booked in like just 
on the just off chance. Hypothetical. As you were speaking, then I think, oh, people are people are looking forward to plan their wedding, and I'm I'm waiting for the lockdown to be lifted so I can book flights <laughs> <laughs> to go away on my Absolutely. own. Absolutely. Well, you never know who you're going to meet on that plane. Literally, I'm going to book a flight, and then I'm going to book a venue while I'm doing it. And, and, you know, maybe don't mention on the first date that you've already got your wedding date booked in 2022, but <laughs> it's a good but thing to why have. Is your, why is your suitcase so heavy, So I'm like, it's got my wedding dress in it. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be important? I think it's been really refreshing not to be all about outfits and venues and dresses and actually talk <laughs> about the meaning of weddings. Um it's you know you can find that stuff just about yeah. anywhere and my gram feed mostly which is at my own my weddings go and check it out and obviously i'll link all that in so people can come and check out what you're doing because it really is important like it really is important that um that we have a dedicated lgbtq wedding um supplier wedding uh planner and and, and i am honored to be it and to be able to provide that that service to people you know, don't stress about your wedding day. Come into my little safety bubble and you can still yeah. enjoy your coffee weekends. You don't have to be all consumed by wedding planning because we'll do it yeah. for you. And I can vouch that Lorna is like the sweetest, kindest, nicest oh. person. And Thanks. when when he reveals himself to me, I will be sliding back into your DMs. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds perfect. Yeah. I can't wait. I, don't know why I keep degrading myself by having this conversation. This is all getting edited <laughs> out. Um, thank you so much for like having this conversation with me because, like I said, I do think what you're doing is really, really important, and I think that your 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 story is important. And I also think that um, my and my weddings is a is a fantastic organisation. And also, thank you so much for the support that you've given diversity role models as well, because you know how much that means to me as well. Absolute pleasure, and I look forward to being in a classroom with you very soon. I hope so. And I'm going to have a party when we do this. I'm going to like have like a little event thing to Amazing. kind of celebrate doing this. So thank you so much, Lorna. Speak to you soon. See you later, my love. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Honestly, it means the world that you chose to join me. If you liked it, subscribe, and of course, please make sure that you share with your friends. I'd really like you to get involved in the conversation as well. So head over to Twitter or Instagram at LGBTQ Pillars, or you can get in contact at www.pillars.org.uk where you can find out about upcoming events, all our guest profiles and contact me to get involved. And remember, we can't build a home out of broken bricks. We need Pillars. Pillars.